0: Yo, welcome back to another episode of Uproar's Rawcast, the brand new podcast from Uproar, where we'll be interviewing everyone from rock stars to porn stars, from actors to influencers. And every two weeks, we'll have a new guest coming in, a couple new guests coming in to talk to you guys. So this is the very first guest we've had on this program. These guys are the band that sort of, it was the very first emo band or emo album that I ever listened to. So it's sort of responsible for Uproar happening. They've had, I think, 10 studio albums, which is pretty crazy. So I'd like to introduce Ryan and Darren from Fume for a Friend. Hello. Yo, Hello. Good Hello. evening. Thank you, guys, for coming on the show. It's our pleasure. Thank Lovely you for having us. I love
1: introduction, and I think we should be getting a share of uh, the profits, maybe, somehow, then. Of uproar. Yeah. 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 If we're I, c- I, c- I can tell you quite, <laughs> quite confidently there's no profit. Oh. Nah. There should be. Oh, well. It's worth, Actually, worth a try. Right.
0: we'll start actually on that that point that i just made because i'm pretty positive the very first emo album i ever heard was casually dressed which would have been 2003 i Mm -hmm. think is that yeah so and i'm pretty positive it was my mate in art class because i was doing school and he gave me the cd and listened to it like you know under the desk trying to get away with it from the teachers and that's what got me into the whole sort of scene. so i was like proper public kid So before that, there wasn't much emo going around. I think uh, The Used had released an album and Taking Back Sunday had, but that would have only been like at latest 2002. Mm -hmm. So back then, how did that scene start? How did you get into that sort of music? Because it was before Spotify and social media and all that sort of stuff. So if it was that new, but you've got bands on both sides of the planet doing the same thing at the same time, how did that, Arise. Um
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Taking Back Sunday was was definitely the one that was coming through. There was a lot of cool bands on, on Victory Records at the time, um, you know, yeah. Bo- Boy Sets Fire and stuff like that. Um, Coheed and Cambria were coming through at the time. Um, well, I mean, they're still going strong, but um, I think it was a mix between... Um, you know, some of us were into that particular scene. Some of us were more into the metal side of things. Some of us were more into the the punk and hardcore side of things. But I think it was that particular um, emo scene, if you like, that was the one thing that connected us that we were all into and we all liked at the time. Because yeah. at the
0: time it wasn't even emo. Like,
1: mm. No, I think it was just kind of a bit of, a, a bit of fresh air in terms of music, you know, coming yeah. through that like Ryan said, there was there was kind of um some comparisons, slight comparisons to a lot of other bands you were listening to, but maybe not amalgamated as such, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. Because I mean for me at the time, I was into pop punk and it just made you a grebo. Mm.
1: Like there, there was no sub
0: there weren't emos and pop punk kids or metalers, it was just you're a grebo or you're a chaff. Yeah. Like
2: Yeah. One or the other. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so following those years by sort of 2005, I think that's when the emo coin had been termed. termed yeah, been coined. Yeah, <laughs> I,
2: I guess I guess bands were just tapping into the more melodic side of things because we'd all been in bands before in the South Wales area in heavier bands, you know, just hardcore style or metal bands or whatever. But but when all this cool melodic stuff was coming over from the states, I think that was. Well it was two things I mean it was the melodic stuff coming over from the states, and then it was the fact that we found someone who could actually sing, which was quite rare at the time it was uh looking back it, it was it was like Goldust trying to find a singer who could actually sing you know the there were singers who you could get away with it in the studio you could auto tune them and it's like oh, okay it sounds all right on record, but then you get on the stage and it's and it's you know, it just fall apart but um but yeah, you know when when Matt um, sort of came out of the woodwork, sort of thing, you know, because he was a guy who we knew from going to hardcore shows and stuff. He, he used to write his own fanzine called Third Engine, and he was sort of that guy with the backpack selling fanzines. And then all of a sudden, when it transpired that he could actually sing, it was like, oh, okay, well, you know, we can we can play all this heavy stuff, and we're all from heavy backgrounds, but. Here's someone who can sing, so let's try and write some uh, melodic stuff for him to sing over, and I think that was the the genesis of it, really.
1: And, we, and at the time, we were obviously kind of doing the the two vocal kind of idea, you know. Yeah. Uh, when when it first kind of kicked off, and um, like Ryan said, you know, the fact that Mac could kind of sing these soaring choruses, you know, you know, to perfection, really, you know, it, the guys kind of um, tune in and and you know. It, of his voice is, is is so spot on you know his pitching and, and stuff is great uh, and always has been you know so I mean um, yeah it, it was a case of yeah stumbling across that in a way and um, and it all uh, just coming together
0: yeah
2: it really was that it really was that because so many of us um, in the band had known each other for a long time before I mean myself and Darren had been in a band years earlier and it was like a A rap metal band and again it's because we found someone who was like a hip-hop guy who could rap so you know where there's there's, there was just so many people in south wales who could play their instruments but there was so little uh you know a little amount of people who could actually be a vocalist so so we found someone who could rap it's like okay well we'll do like a rap metal band so we were in a band there before um and then you know we we knew chris from from way back then from being just being at shows and and that was a thing, we just never had that singer, really. And uh, that was the final piece of the puzzle then. and And um, that's why we weren't just doing hardcore or metal, because we found someone who could actually fit this, you know, like I say, the final piece of the puzzle.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. And there's so many bands that actually came out of Wales. Like, mm. there yeah. seems to be more, at least in this scene, more bands coming out of Wales than everywhere else in the UK.
1: It was, I mean, like, you know, Wales is always going to, been a hotbed for music, you know, uh, and you'd had kind of, you know, bands previous um, and movements of music like the Manics or Stereophonics, you know, within the indie scene. So, I mean, there's always been bands there um, and there's always kind of been a hotbed for plenty of bands. But, um, yeah, it seemed as if kind of once a few broke through, then kind of a lot of people were looking towards Wales then and seeing that there was a lot more bands there. You know, there was putting out great stuff and writing great songs.
2: Because there was always so many bands there because that was our thing. We would, um, you know, whether it be once a month or twice a month, we would just have a venue in Newport called TJ's, which is quite a quite a famous venue. And uh, we would hire that probably, you know, the sort of first Saturday of, of every month or whatever. And we would just sort of put the word out there. And if anyone, any any bands want to play it, um, we, you know, we'll all come together and chip in and, and pay the booking fee for the for the venue, and then everyone just shares the you know the ticket things and um and lots of bands would come through and you you know we we, we had so many bands that we met you know I mean um Jeff Giljohn, who went on to be Bullet for My Valentine um and of course I mean I think a level above that then at the time was, was Skin Dread, who had come from being Dub War which were um you know a big influence in terms of the fact that. I mean, me and Darren used to go to the, the Dynamo Open Air Festival in in the 1990s in uh, in Holland. It was like, you know, the biggest, it's just this legendary festival in Holland. And we used to go every year. And um, just the fact that the Dub War played it was just, you know, totally blew our minds. You know, this was like Benji that we used to see at the gigs in Newport and whatnot. And that was just gives you that sort of extra bit of belief then that you can actually do yeah, something. Yeah, the
1: incentive to see that other people have managed to kind of break through and, and do cool things you know so you shouldn't kind of not you know attempt to do it at least yeah
0: yeah, totally man Mm. and
2: and and again you know you mentioned stereophonics earlier they came you know they're from my small town in wales that i grew up in and that was a massive thing when when they broke i think literally everyone in the town in you know in the village had that record and just little things like that that make you think well actually we if we you know if we work hard at this and if we can manage to get good then this could happen you know it's not um it's not the pipe dream that it was maybe for the last five years that we were messing around in bands for
1: no it's achievable you know yeah that's, we, yeah we when you see, see someone that.
0: else do it it becomes realistic to you that's yeah
1: yeah definitely and and that's what we were seeing, and that's kind of you know around us in 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 multiple ways you know what i mean bands breaking through you know okay maybe not in the same genres or whatever but you know there's a lot of kind of success we you would see which meant that kind of we felt it was achievable then i suppose yeah
0: absolutely man i mean when was the sort of tipping point for you guys when you realized it was going well or wasn't the one what did it just it was so it, it, was well, there a point where you just like fuck man this is happening
2: well for me it was kind of from the outside at the start cuz the band i was in another band at the time and um and and funeral had done an ep uh, recorded like a well it was a demo and and that got sort of signed then to 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 like a small welsh label and even that it was like oh wow that 's cool that they 've done that um and that you know Darren was in the band, so I was like oh amazing and um and then when their drummer left then and um and Darren asked me to come and um i think I was filling in for i think that 's what it was i was i was filling in for a radio one live session um
1: yeah helping us for a that, and, and maybe a show as well. Yeah, there
2: was there was a Radio One live session, and there was a show supporting Hell is for Heroes. Um, and then both of those things to me were like, wow, you know, that's the two biggest things that I've done. Is like a recording a, a studio session for Radio One, and then B playing a show with Hell is for Heroes. It's like, wow, yeah, that's so. From the outside, for me, that was like, oh yeah, I'll do that. That's cool. And then when I actually sort of got there and started rehearsing with the guys and. And and they were telling me about the the cool things that were happening. You know, there's like, oh, this label has been in touch, and this agent has been in touch, and it's like, well, that's that's pretty cool. And so we did those two things and um, a couple of more things, and I got asked to join permanently. And then um, I guess from there, what came next? What was the what was the thing then that blew our minds? I don't know.
1: I think it it was mainly I think from that it became the amount of labels that started showing interest and would be calling this little label that we. Attached to at the time, and you know there was kind of Sony from the states would kind of call and you know and, and 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 you know good number of major labels, but also some pretty big independent labels as well you know and um and I think that transcended then into a situation where we started creating more demos to begin with to to kind of give and send out to some of these labels uh to keep their interests sort of peaked um and then it went on to a situation where we were doing a showcase up in London for, it must have been about twenty-five labels. Kind of, we did mul- multiple sort of um, runs through our our kind of six-song set or whatever <laughs> for about four labels at a time or whatever. On it mm. took up most of the day in, in this little um, sort of grungy sort of looking Putney rehearsal studio. Nothing like these <laughs> cool rehearsal st- studios, you know. But, um. Yeah, but it, that you know, when all that was happening, that was where, for myself and anyway, personally, I started to think, "Wow, this is kind of, you know, really kind of going somewhere." And and is you know, it was amazingly exciting, obviously. Um, but that was the the realization I think that it seemed like kind of things were kind of you know happening, I yeah. guess.
0: That's awesome, man. I think it's like it's cool if you can pinpoint a moment because then you've got that specific memory of just excitement. And like that's, that's what makes it worthwhile, in it. So
2: definitely, yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think and I think from there, then with uh, certainly myself, I think all of us is when the management thing started coming around, and um, and uh, we played a show. There it was it's called the Kerrang Weekend. Uh, um, you know they they only had it a couple of times. It was down in on the coast in Canberra Sands. So it was like in a essentially it was in the Butlins like holiday holiday camp. Um, but we got invited to play there, which, which was, which was a huge deal because there was loads of cool bands playing. But, um, some, for some some reason, Iron Maiden's manager was there and, uh, Rod Smallwood is, you know, super well-known, um, respected manager. And I don't know how or why, but he he saw our set and, and loved it then. And, um, he was at sanctuary artist management at the time and managing Maiden and all sorts. And, um, and then he was working with a a gentleman named Craig Jennings who I'm sure you know um you know Craig from was. the yeah, yeah you know from the Birmingham area and he said you know you need to go and check out this band and uh he started calling us mini maiden which was <laughs> yeah. you know no no pressure um and then yeah once we got involved in all of that then and um I remember we went to we went to sign our management deal at their offices and um and on 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 the same night we we got invited to to tour Europe with with Iron Maiden, which was like just us and Maiden. That was the bill, and and you know that was just completely mind blowing for us. Oh, you know, absolutely! Yeah, just know, our favorite our favorite band growing up, essentially, and 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 to have that to have that to, you know that, almost that seal of approval, and to feel welcomed into that amazing fraternity it was just uh, pretty mind-blowing honestly
0: yeah that's
1: pretty incredible man <laughs> yeah yeah it was you know it, it you know it, it was kind of many sort of situations and moments but that was kind of especially for the members of the band like myself and ryan and, and chris as well were massive maiden fans you know what i mean it was yeah it was crazy and nicko mcbrain coming in after we'd signed the management deal welcome to the family guys welcome to the family yeah, giving it all that.
2: just so happened to be my birthday as well, I remember. And he's like uh,
1: Happy birthday, son. Welcome to the family.
0: Well. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah, that's that's a big one. That's fucking awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, touching on the management, because you've actually been a manager now for quite a few years. Yeah. So I think you've yeah. had some pretty successful bands and you um from what I could tell, you moved away from actually playing yourself to
2: focus more on the management. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean that was pretty much exactly what it was really. Um it was something that I'd started taking an interest in whilst I was still in the band. Uh, whilst I was still playing in funeral, um, towards, I guess, you know, around 2008, 2009 sort of time. It was, um, you know, I wasn't, it's not that I was getting bored with being in the band, but I was, I was kind of looking for something else to, to do aside from that as well. You know, I didn't want that just to be my like one thing. And I started managing, um, there were a bunch of like we said earlier a bunch of cool welsh bands coming through again yeah and i was like you know these these are great i want to i want to help these bands i want to try to get them in front of people and bring them on tour with us and and so on but, you know when we did that bands like straight lines and, and and tiger please and stuff like that and um and i just kept getting more into that really and it, I, I getting a lot of um satisfaction from sharing in their achievements then and you know, just like me and Darren have been talking about now about when we felt things were happening for Funeral and those really exciting things, I was getting them all over again. Then with other bands, you know, the first yeah. time that they were in Kerrang or the first time that um, they signed a record deal or made a video or whatever it might be, you know, I was getting that same buzz and, and it was really exciting for me. And then I, once I decided that my 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 time of full-time touring was, uh, was coming to an end, I knew that that was something that, I wanted to do. Um and um and again, luckily, you know, I got to transition pretty swiftly into that. Um over at, at Raw Power Management who who were our management from from day one. So, you know, I got to go over there and, and work with loads of amazing bands like um Bullet for Valentine and Tonight Alive and Crossfaith and all sorts of uh bleed from within, all sorts of cool bands. Um so yeah, do it did that until around twenty seventeen and
0: start my own thing from then. I think we might have met at South by Southwest, dude. Were you there with Young Guns? No.
2: Okay, then somebody else. <laughs> no, no, I no, I, I never actually did. I never actually did go to South by Southwest. I don't know why, but um, it never actually worked out. for um, Going there could it be but Matt
1: Ash? Maybe. Yeah, there, there,
2: there's a yeah. There, there's a, there, there was always a you yeah. know a big raw power contingent. At, yeah, I, uh, I
0: remember Craig introducing me to a few people, and I recognised the names when he did it. Ah, oh, there so you go, yeah. Hard, but okay, I, guess I mean, I'm sure
2: they're, they're still about doing their thing now, probably with Raw Power, you know. it's um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did, sorry, I did that till like 2018 and then decided to, to do my own thing then, which I've been doing since, which has been a lot of fun.
0: I mean, how do you think the music industry has changed? I mean, not so much the scene, because with you guys, I hate the word matured, but <laughs> as your albums progress, oh, I hate using like, you know what I mean? It's like, mm. you started off very edgy, very emo, and then by the sort of third album, it became more sort of anthemic rock, sort of more straightforward rock than it being emo. Yeah. Um,
1: I do you, don't. I don't think it was. You know, it wasn't intentional. The kind of I think that we necessarily made those changes. It just felt right to kind of go in that direction. Yeah. And I think we were we were all of the mindset that kind of we just go with what sort of feels right and you know we never really had any pressure from the label or anything to change or or or, you know stop doing this style or or, you know stop making it quite so heavy or whatever uh you know we never had any pressure really like that from the label as such so i mean it was more a case of just what sort of felt sort of right at the time wasn't it and how the songs were coming together
2: i think a lot of it was that we, we 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 would tour really really hard you know we'd we'd be on tour just nonstop um you know u k europe australia japan and we'd be we'd spend a good you know at least six months a year in america yeah as, you know
0: at, at, at least it's a dream uh, yeah I well love America
2: well that was it you know we would play i think that was it we we'd be playing so much on on tour that I think by the time we got to making records because we were playing so much. That we were wanting to do something different every time, and I think if you listen to all our records, really, they're all. I don't think there's any two records that, like, oh, you know, they sound the same, really. You know, when you, when you, when you go repeating
1: the same album over and over, which I think I'm, I'm not wrong in saying some bands, you know, do that, you know, but you and know, do it well, you yeah, know, yeah absolutely, yeah, yeah. That what well, if that's what feels right for them to do? That that's cool, obviously, you know.
2: But I think it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of um, of the interview is like, because we were all from different, you know, having different musical tastes and backgrounds, I think that um, as we approached each different record, you know, certain people's tastes were maybe getting, you know, um, becoming more overpowering, in, 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 you know, not a bad way, but, more, you know, I can look at certain records and, and be like, oh, you know, that's more of a Matt record, if that's more of a Chris record, or, or of what I am into or Darren, you know, I, I can I can I, I can hear that with the records. But I mean that's just if we were all just coming into this band from exactly the same place, then I'm sure all the records would probably sound a lot more similar. But I think that's what what a lot of it came down to.
1: And we have got, you know, and still have really, you know, a real kind of mixture of tastes and, and kind of and inspiration from kind of various styles of music, you know, and and we had that, like Ryan said, from day one, really, which made our melting pot that much more interesting, I guess, yeah, and, exactly. and and helped with the sound that came out, kind of, you know, when we were writing songs, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, looking at it from a manager point of view, do you think there's been a massive... Because I, I think there has been. I I bitch about all this all the time. But obviously, I'm not seeing it from sort of the inside. I'm seeing it from a pl- club perspective um so to me there seems to be like a massive shift in attitude um from i always say about 2013 so between sort of i mean 2002 which is when i started sort of listening to, to music and 2013 it seemed that there was a lot of positivity in hard work in a band and bands seemed to recognize it as a, a job and as a career and the fact that it needed to make money and they needed to like fucking work. And there's a lot of bands that sort of by about 2013 had sort of blown up, become huge, massive sort of stadium bands like, um, oh, I'm trying to think now Fallout boy, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm. And you could, you could really easily see the, the work that gone into it. Yeah. And then in sort of 2013, it seemed to swap and it'd be that suddenly if anyone actually put in any work, they became a select mm. and it sort of seemed to switch to being like, if you're successful, then you're a select. Mm. Whereas before that it was, if you're successful that's fucking badass, yeah. like that's what you wanted. And I, I seem to, th- I think that it was like that from sort of 2013 to about 18. And then in 2018, 19, it sort of started to cross back mm. into people wanting to achieve big things again. Um, and I always sort of chalk it up to being that there was a lot of people that were ten years ago in sort of hardcore or emo bands, left that scene, became rappers, and started moving back into it. And in the rap world, it's like it's all about fucking money and bling and bitches and it's it's all mm-hmm. it's all showboating. Mm. And them coming back into rock seems to bring back in the idea that it's okay to actually work your ass off and be successful.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, rock's in an interesting place at the moment. You know, when you see who the uh, who the biggest people are, you know, you sort of Machine Gun Kellys and things like that. You know, it's these massive mainstream people are kind of at the forefront of the of, of, of the rock movement and sort of coming into rock and wanting to be a part of that. Which, I know, you know, a lot of people think that's awful and and. Disgusting and <laughs> whatever, but I mean, if he's, if it's going to bring people's eyes and, and ears towards rock and to you know to listen to to rock music and for you know younger kids or whatever to to give rock a chance, um you know if they come in and you know through a Machine Gun Kelly album find you know something else, um, I can't think of any names the top of my head, but you know if 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 that brings them into the scene, so to speak, and. And makes them a rock fan, then then cool, you know. I mean, it's like it's like with us, it, you, your first band you get into are never like the heaviest band or the coolest band or whatever, mm. you know. You need those gateway bands, and um, and I think if 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 people like that are bringing bringing people into rock and and
1: and, and that helps the,
2: the rock scene overall, then, then I'm all for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think kind of you know, like like Ryan said, you know the more support, the more kind of eyes on rock and people getting into it kind of it makes it kind of, you know, a, a lot bigger. It makes it kind of, you know, um more opportunities for the bands within in the genre, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely, man. I think, I think it's really fucking positive. Like, I think it's brilliant that there's going to be kids that the equivalent of me that are now being brought back into it, which I don't think that had for five, six, seven years. Yeah, I,
1: I think kind of, you know, It went through a very strange kind of, you know, change as in the music industry itself, you know. Um, And I think it's taken quite a long time for a a number of genres probably to get a foothold again and and see how they fit into the new industry and how they can make it work for that particular genre. You know, I think that's, you know, something that's kind of that's happened as well, which, you know, plays its part. Yeah,
0: definitely. I think that's a big thing.
2: Well that's it. I mean, with new technology and with your Spotify and stuff, you know, if if a kid is listening to a I don't know, Willow Smith with Travis Barker on it and then and then the next thing that pops up in their Spotify is like a, a, a blink song and then that goes to an alkaline trio song or and, and so on, then that's cool, you know, that's that's good. That's good for us. That's good for us all, I think.
0: Definitely, man. I think the more people that get back into it, the fucking better. I think absolutely. it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely. a great, yeah. great move forward. Yeah. I mean, with you guys getting back together, like I'm guessing that was because you did the charity shows. Yeah. But was that something that you were thinking about doing before anyway? Because no. you hadn't done
1: anything for a while at no. I all. Mean, we weren't really. I mean, I kind of left in around 2010. I think Ryan left in 2011. Mm. Um and you know the guys carried on for a few more years then before they decided to kind of you know stop completely um and none of us would necessarily yeah thinking of, of you know even suggesting it really it, it just all came around no well
2: we we were both at the, the you know the, the final show in in 2016 we both did our little little cameos yeah, <laughs> with yeah. the with the band and um it felt very final and um i think all of us at that point, I mean, you know, like Darren said, he and I hadn't been in the band for, for some years, but certainly felt to me like everyone else felt like that was it.
1: Yeah. Definitely. That's the, that's the feeling I got as well, yeah, and and therefore kind of didn't see, you know, a reunion as such come in, really, and it, it was all down to, you know, a good friend of, of ours, you know, st- Stu Brothers kind of um, with, his you know, um, his illness, um that kind of brought us back together and then with the realisation of whilst doing that and playing the shows, you know, uh, uh, on behalf of him in a sense, um, we loved kind of hanging out again and rehearsing and, and then playing the shows. We had great fun and, and it was, you know, it was, it was great being around one another again kind of because we're kind of spread out now with, you know, Matt lives in Germany, Chris lives in London.
0: Why Germany, man? Hmm. like I quite like germany but of all the places
1: his wife's german so that's okay uh, that's a good reason <laughs> yeah no,
0: that'll do it yeah. Yeah. but
2: but but that was it i mean that was and again that was just going to be that you know that be, i mean originally it was going to be two shows which turned into three um and it wouldn't have been any more than that if it wasn't for um an opportune phone call from from andy cop in the day after the london show um and when I saw my phone ringing that day on the way home in the van, and knew exactly what was coming, um, and he's like, you know, I heard it was amazing yesterday. We'd love you to do download next year. Um, so we said, oh, one more. Should we do one more for download? Because we only did the, we did the two shows in Cardiff and one in London, and um, and there were so many people who were saying, you know, oh, I would love to have come. I couldn't get a ticket, or you know, yeah. I couldn't get to Cardiff, or or whatever. So it's like, okay, if we do this one more show, then at download then at least in theory anyone who did want to come and did want to see us one one more time could do that um then of course the the pandemic happened and um and and download got moved back so uh it was one of those things was like okay right we'll do we'll do the one more tour thing and and download but then (laughs) slam dunk um
1: came so around well, yeah one thing's kind of led to another in in some ways
2: so it's, it's 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 been a lot more than we expected it to be um and it's gone on longer obviously again because of the pandemic i mean it was uh it was meant to be you know long done by now yeah but um but yeah that's uh that's kind of how it's turned out and uh, and
0: here we are so you're planning this to be the last one or are you thinking or are there just the no plans I think it feels that yeah, because th- it would make sense for there to be an anniversary tour in two thousand and twenty
2: three yeah, well I mean this year is twenty years now, so that's um, so that's sort of um so that's been a good thing because we would have if things had gone the way that they were supposed to and there wasn't any pandemic i mean yeah i I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying that I'm glad there was one because obviously, obviously I'm not, but um you know we would have been done by the end of 2020 that would have been it. So we wouldn't have um I suppose had that twenty year uh, anniversary success, yeah celebration right. as such. So we, so that's that's something. But um but like you say, yeah, I mean, you know, we've 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 got download as the the sort of final thing in the calendar, but um yeah, twenty years casually dressed. We'll uh I guess we'll have to see.
1: <laughs> I mean, I personally think it should happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, just yeah. yeah I suppose <laughs>
1: it's one of those never say never kind of situations. But fair. But in some ways, you know, we're not planning anything else. Yeah, and, yeah of course.
2: Yeah, so. I think um,
1: I think if we were to do it, it'd have to
2: be, you know, again, the reason why we came back, is it'd have to be something special. Yeah. I mean, you know, 20 years just in itself is, is pretty special. Um, but I don't think we could just do, you know, a show just at a sort of regular event. It'd have to be something, I don't know what that would be, but... Um, yeah,
0: just to create the excitement for you guys. For yeah, and for everyone else you as want well. It to yeah, exciting. You want to feel that rush, don't you? Yeah, so you, want, I guess you wanted it
1: to kind of be an event in a sense, you know, and be something, you know, you, that really marks something properly, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, whether that be somewhere that we've never played, or you know, a venue that we've never played, or or something, you know, you do with a orchestra or something. I don't know. I mean, you know, just something different and That'd special. It would. Yeah, I mean, I'd quite like that. I mean. Uh, when we did the tales and tell themselves album, myself and Darren went along to the uh, the orchestral recording session, which was uh, was pretty pretty mind blowing for me. I'm yeah, sure. it was
1: yeah very sort of emotional and moving. It was it was, it was it was it was it was a weird experience. It was it was just so euphoric in a way listening to yeah this this orchestra playing kind of you know along to kind of you know some of the the songs. How did that stuff. come
0: about? How how did you go from just being like I'm going to smash the set and a guitar to I want an
2: orchestra? Well, I mean, we, we when we were writing that album, um, we were again, you know, looking to do something a little bit different, and um, it was, I guess, well, it wasn't the first time. Um, you know, I'd done some like keyboard stuff on the album because I'd done stuff on on the other records as well. You know, like like Sunny Off Hours and stuff like that. Um, but um, because we were doing things that were a bit more um, you know laid back and not so quite riffy and um and whatnot there was room for for putting stuff on top so you know I was doing some of that stuff on piano and uh writing some little things you know just just
1: really basic stuff um and and then I think it it sort of started really with you wrote and 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 did it like a demo of um like an intro really to the album it was yeah. meant to be and then I put some guitar melodies on top of what you put on keyboards on it. And when we went into pre-production with Gil Norton, he heard that and was adamant that we should turn it into a song. Yeah. And that became into oblivion. Yeah. And because of what Ryan had put down keyboard-wise with the strings and stuff like that as, as the intro and this guitar melody had played over the top, it kind of it felt like it warranted real orchestra you know, to, to you know, r- sort of resemble what kind of Ryan had done on the keyboard in a sense, but obviously on a, on a, on a, yeah, bit well, bit well, yes. scale.
2: On, on a crazy, on a crazy scale. Yeah. Cause, cause Gil, um, you know, we were working with Gil who's from a much more rock background. You know, he did like the color and the shape by Foo Fighters and like Futures by Jimmy Will and lots of Pixies records and stuff like that. So it was like, you know, that's the type of record that we wanted to make a uh, rock record. And, um, and as Darren said, when he heard that, what was just going to be an intro to the record, which was that, you know, beginning of Into Oblivion. And he's like, you know, we've got to do something with this. We're going to make something of this. And, um, he'd worked with a string composer named Audrey Riley, who'd, um, she did all the strings to like Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, you know, like Tonight Tonight and all that sort of amazing stuff. And, um,
1: Darren and Feed. A few others I yeah think. like yeah. you
2: know like just the way i'm feeling by feeder and like muse you know a bunch of Muse stuff so she came in and um listened to everything and she put these charts down and she went away and she came back with these sort of like demos that she'd done on keys which were like oh wow you know it's mind-blowing but to actually go then and see it done like real and i'm watching it with Actual this, instruments, orchestral instruments. With, yeah, with this massive orchestra and it, it was just like completely mind blowing watching it. And not just that as well. I mean we had all these other extras like um the the sort of the choral vocal thing you hear, you know, that's the that's the group that did all the Harry Potter soundtracks and stuff as well. Yeah. Awesome. Which, which was <laughs> that's pretty cool. Which was mental and, and then we had this guy then come in on, on percussion, this percussionist and um
1: I think I think he was on Portugal or something,
2: wasn't he? Yeah, he's a Portuguese guy, and and then we were to find then he's like, oh yeah, I'm the percussionist for the Rolling Stones. And I'm like, oh shit, okay, <laughs> uh, yeah. And he's like, and he's, I was like, oh, he's like, he must be a pretty well known guy, and then goes like, oh yeah, yeah, he's one of the uh, judges on the Portuguese um, like uh, X Factor. I was like, oh, okay, weird. So he, so he was literally he was just he was sitting in there in in the room on a chair. And he was like sort of surrounded by all these different instruments on the floor. And he just had like a big Cuban cigar and a, and a head headset. And he and we'd play something and he'd be looking around on the floor like, okay, yeah, pick this up. And he just, I'm playing away and start doing all this stuff. And it was just, just absolutely mind-blowing. And whilst he still had this big fat cigar in his, in his mouth and he was just doing this stuff. So cool.
0: Yeah, awesome. I love that. <laughs> I yeah. like you like it when you've got some really random fucking situation and oh, you sort yeah. of stood there and part of you like, what the fuck is going on? And then part of you just really appreciating it. Yeah, like, yeah. I had this really bizarre one. Uh, it was at South by Southwest. And we were staying. There was a guy, I can't actually fucking remember his name, but he had started a record label. It was a multimillionaire. His wife was basically part of the family. I think they, they were the sixth richest family in America. Yeah. And she was just, like, full-blown fucking hippie. And he came from just the absolute redneck. Have you ever watched that program, Duck Dynasty? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> he was, like, someone off Duck Dynasty. And they just, I guess, met, fell in love. Like, he was massive into his bands, like, wanted to be a rock star. And they brought this studio that was, like, a really well-known studio in Texas. And they'd redone half of it, so it was you know, fucking multi-million pound refurb. And then half of it, they just hadn't bothered. They'd just sort of been like, eh, fuck it. It's mm-hmm. effort. And it was just like left almost half derelict. And we'd gone back to hang out with him. So it was me and my dad. I think, have you met Roy? No, I haven't yet, you know, no. You'll, you'll get to meet him later. I, I hope I do, yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, there's me and Roy. I'm stone cold sober because I'm driving. And we've gone to the studio It's about 3 a.m., and there's him, there's his wife, and then there's these two dudes there, and I don't remember what their names were, but the one guy had just wrote, like, Lady Gaga's number one hit, and another guy had wrote one for, like, Bruno Mars or something. They they were really young. Each of them were about 19, and so they were hanging out. They were just loving that rich guys were paying them to get fucked up. And this dude sat just absolutely fucking... Wrecked, really, uh, every fucking drug you can imagine, all the drink, he was fucked up his face. Sat in the middle of this derelict room with his legs crossed and a pheromone, doing... <laughs> 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 these two dudes that were, like, trying to play piano alongside him, like, accompany him, but they couldn't because you can't really accompany a fucking pheromone. No, no. it's kind of all over the place. And and his wife just danced barefooted around him, like, ugh. So sort of, you, you know how like you see like pixies dancing in the woods. Yeah, it yeah. was that sort of thing. And I was just at there sober watching it, being like, "What the fuck is going you on?" You can't be watching that sober. Yeah, I
2: like, saw <laughs> already. Like,
1: it's dis- sounds bizarre. Disorientating
0: yeah. to me just hearing about it. Yeah, it was it was nuts, man. But it was cool.
1: Oh, some, some sort of you crazy. Do, you,
0: you get those weird
2: yeah. crazy dream. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you sure it was real? I'm I'm pretty positive I got pulled by the police on the way home. So, oh, right, yeah. So I was I was pleased pleased that I was sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good but <laughs> getting back to you guys, I love Southwest Southwest. Yeah, strange place. Um, with the the tour that's coming up, because mm. you're playing songs from the the first three albums. How did you pick those songs? Are they ones that they're just the hits that you think people want to hear, or they your personal favourites? Are you just doing like you? think going to be fun. Like, yeah, I think, is it going to change? Are you going to do different songs on different days or maybe have you not even picked?
1: Not really. You haven't got a, a, an absolute set in stone set list. Yeah. I, don't, um, I think a lot of them have proven themselves over the years to be, you know, really big songs that kind of, you know, um, and that, that work great live. Um, but there are definitely some in the, I think they're kind of a band favorites and, uh, you know some of our favourites for sure. Yeah,
2: I mean we, we we played those songs so many times and for so long that you know we we get to know which ones work. You know, I mean it's the same as yourself when you're DJing or wherever, You know, you kind of know the the songs that work, and you sort of trial and error. One week you try something else, blah blah blah. I mean through, through all the gigs we've, we've we've played, I mean we get you get to know which ones are the ones that are always hit but um i mean it's in, in saying that i mean you know if it does end up being the last thing we do then it, it's nice as well to play some songs that maybe you haven't played in a, in a really long time just to just just for fun i suppose i mean there's al there's always some people in the crowd wanting to hear the um obscure you know, b-sides the deep cuts <laughs> and the b-sides and stuff yeah we yeah. always get that oh play the b-sides everyone loves the b-sides so there yeah you go. we'll see
0: Throw a few in just to, to place them. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, ah. keep, keep them happy. Awesome. I think we're just about out of time. Yep, I'm getting I'm getting the nod. Okay. <laughs> so, awesome, guys. Thank you for coming in and talking to us. It's been fucking awesome. Yeah, pleasure, you, man. Yeah. Thanks for you. having us, man. So follow these guys on Instagram. Make sure you're at their tour. Next one up is State Champs. We'll have those in a couple of weeks. So tune back in for that. Hit like, hit subscribe, tell everyone else to fucking listen to it. If this is the start of the episode and you've missed the entire thing, like it fucking anyway. And if you don't actually think it's interesting, still hit like because it's good for us. So thank you, guys. We'll catch you next week. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching. As a thank you, the guys in Funeral have given us two tickets to give away to any one of their 2022 tour shows. So all you have to do is share this on Facebook, tag us in it, and we'll pick a winner at random.